Welcome to the Parkwood Podcast. Our mission is to help people find hope in the person of Jesus Christ and find home in this family. If this is your first time tuning in, we would love to get connected with you. You can text the word NEW to 833-202-2834 or visit parkwoodwindsor.com for more information. Now, let's take a moment to prepare our hearts as we get into today's message. My name is Pastor Linda. Pastor Danny is away for a couple of weeks, and so I am so happy to be able to bring to you this word from the series, Dave. And we are going to be studying the life of King David a little bit further today, and we're going to be talking about, now last week we talked about his encounter with Goliath. And how many know that was, uh, you know, such an, uh, an unsung hero, such an unlikely guy, young boy, conquering this big giant. And I think it's fair to say for David that things are going pretty good at this point. Carrying the head, of Pastor Gary talked about, carrying the head of Goliath back to Jerusalem. And now we talk about David's first encounter with Saul. And in chapter, and that's chapter 18, we're going to just go to chapter 17. Just at the end, it says in verse 57, as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. And David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. So imagine the sight of that. Saul staring at a man holding another man's head, right? I personally think I maybe would have some other questions for David at that point, but rather than, you know, who's your dad? But this is the question that Saul asks him. And we know that lineage was very, very important at that time. And so as we continue here, chapter 18, 1 to 4, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And we see a beautiful precious friendship emerge. We see the love between these two, David and Jonathan. Jonathan was in a position to give David gifts, okay? So he did. He gave him his sword and his bow and his belt, and there was a covenant between them. And now, David, as I said, things were going pretty good. Well, now, David is best friends with the son of the most powerful man in the kingdom. Things are going pretty good. So we see Curiously, in verse 2, though, from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. That's very interesting. So in verse 5, we see whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Okay, so Saul's got a protege. He's obedient. He's honoring. He hangs around with his son. What could go wrong? And I think the train has left the station here for David to be on his way to greatness. So David is off fighting wars, and Saul returns home. 
And news had spread of this great victory, this defeat of Goliath. And we see in verse 6 and 7, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now, to give you a bit of history on this situation, okay, this was tradition. When there was gallantry and victory in war, it is very common for the women to come out and to be singing. This was basically a party, right? This is a customary congratulations, probably to a familiar tune. I tried to think how we could make this a familiar tune. You know, Saul has slain his thousands. David is tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands. David is tens, right? Row, row, okay? Right? This is like, and then faster, and then they did it again. And we used to have Croatian weddings when I was a kid and everybody would be in a circle and they would be dancing and it would get faster and faster. Anybody remember those? And so this is, this is customary. This is what happens. So you would think all would be well, right? But in verse eight and nine, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get? but the kingdom. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. And I just want to reiterate to everybody, this is not, this was not a political statement, this crowd. Okay. This, there was no intent here, right? This was not, you know, we want Saul. We don't want David. None of that at all. This wasn't a protest in any way. This wasn't a coup. We want David to take over the kingdom, right? Have you ever tried to do something, to say something nice to someone and they totally take it the wrong way? Never. Never. (laughs) Well, it happens. Or has somebody ever said something to you, well-meaning, but you totally took it the wrong way? Okay, so this happens, right? The problem here was that they were praising a subject at the expense of a sovereign, And so this is what we call an activating event. In the counseling world, it's called an activating event in Saul's life. So something happens that evokes an emotional response in somebody. Usually it's negative, okay? And so some deep, unmet need in Saul connects to the evil spirit that had already taken over him, as we read in previous chapters. And fear takes root deep in his heart. The desire for power, attention, affirmation, and most of all, fear. And fear of losing the love and affection and loyalty of the people. And that leads to suspicion. Saul creating an inner commentary about David's importance and David's intentions. And, you know, according to Saul, David's motive was to use his prominence to take the kingdom away from from Saul. And Saul tells himself in verse 8, what more can he get but the kingdom? So David was coming for all of it, basically, according to Saul. Perceived reality rather than actual reality. Pride. We're going through all the list here. Highly volatile leader. Insecure. God was already unhappy with him due to his own actions. And Saul had humble beginnings, 
But power never really sat right with Saul. So I think it's good here to pause and to let this be a warning to us all. Right? In James 1, verse 15, it says, After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. From the thoughts of our mind, the desires that we have, to the root in our hearts, to action. We must be careful. We must be careful. The door was opened in Saul, his, gave room in his mind to jealousy. And next would be death. And so began the campaign to end David. In chapter 18, 10, and 11, it says, The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he, here we go, and he hurled it. Look what I've got here. Oh, I'm not even holding it right. Okay, wait. Anyone want to volunteer to be on the rest? I'll probably miss. <laughs> he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice, right? So let's talk about David here for a minute. What must David be thinking, staring down the head of that spear? The first time, I think it's plausible to think that, that David maybe thought Saul was just practicing, right? Maybe. That he was, you know, he just missed. He missed him. And then the second time, he stares down that spear and has to deke out of the way and, and just misses that spear. He's probably thinking, okay, there's a pattern here. Something is going wrong, right? Uh, can we talk, Saul? Is something bothering you? Uh, and we see at that point, the next verse in verse uh, 12, we see Saul sending David away. So maybe Saul even realized something's going on in me, right? That door's been opened. And we see David being sent away with command over a thousand men. And his prominence is growing. In verse 14, it says, In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. And there's our root again, fear in Saul, because he was afraid of him. And he said, you know, let the Philistines kill him. So he sends him away in battle. He even gave him one of his daughters to try to distract him so he would be killed in battle. And David responds with humility every time. And even Jonathan was trying to summarize it in verse 4 of chapter 18. Jonathan spoke well of David to his, Saul, his father, and said, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? It's interesting that he said, what David has done has benefited you greatly. It was it was a win for the kingdom of Israel. But oh, Saul didn't have the character to understand that. And so to summarize that, he said, Dad, what's wrong with you? Right? What's wrong with you? 
And so Saul was not to be reasoned with, and the inevitable happens again. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre. Why are they doing this again? This is round two, right? Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. And that night, David made good his escape. So there's lots of holes in walls now at that point. And I think David gets it. I need to escape. I need to get out of here. This man is after me, and he's trying to kill me. So David is at a crossroads. He's faced with an act of injustice. He doesn't understand, and Jonathan doesn't understand it either. And Jonathan almost doesn't believe David here. And he says in uh, 20 verse 2, Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. And he promises to try to help David. But as we know, there are times when things don't make sense. There are times when nobody can fix what is wrong. And Jonathan cannot fix this. It is in God's hands. To my best account and reading, Saul made 11 direct or indirect attempts on David's life during this period in history. Either he tried to kill him or he set up a scenario for him to be killed. I want to say that if someone tried to kill me 11 times... (laughs) Or even 10 times, I think I just lay down and say, okay, you win, you win, right? But friends, we cannot stop or get in the way of what God is allowing us to walk through in this life. David was in a low place. He was convinced that he would die by the hand of Saul. This is going to kill me, he basically says. And in 27.1, he says, One of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. And I think David hits, if not his rock bottom, one of his rock bottom moments at this point. And I I think it's um, important to say there's a beautiful lesson here. Because the hand of God on your life is not dependent on you having a perfect faith level. And it's okay for David to admit, and we see that through the Psalms where he admits how low he is and what place he is at. But saying the the right things in a hard moment, God's hand is still working in each of us. And it doesn't rest on our perfect actions every time or even us understanding it. And the promise of God is still at work in David. Jesus loves me even when my faith fails me. Amen. How did David endure this? Well, we can't underestimate the role of Jonathan. Jonathan's role is so important here as a comfort to David, especially as Saul's son. How interesting that is. And I want to say he did two things, Jonathan. Number one, he shared in his grief. When Jonathan finally accepted that Saul was really serious about killing David, Jonathan wept with David. And it says in verse 41 that they embraced and wept together, but David wept the most. And there's a moment where Jonathan couldn't fix it, and there are times where all we can do is just weep with our friend. Number two, he pointed him to God. In 23.16, it says, Jonathan helped him 
find his strength in God. We cannot always be fixers, but we can point the way to God. And you know, we can see the contrast here if we want to go to this to say Jonathan is like a type of the Holy Spirit coming alongside right? He's comforting him. He's pointing him to God. He's advocating for him to Saul. You know, and sometimes, thank God we have the Holy Spirit now to do all of those things, but we need to help people find their strength until they can reach for it themselves, until they're strong enough. And we can be Jonathan's in other people's lives too. In 30 verse 6, it said, but David found strength in the Lord his God. That was when he came across a village being burned in Ziklag. And he found that strength. So why would God invest so much in this young man? After 11 attempts to kill David, he keeps on surviving, right? David did not die because he was not meant to die. Because he had a future and he had a lineage. Jonathan says to him in 2042, Go in peace, for we have a sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. See, Jonathan helped David look beyond the here and now. Nothing helps us more in difficult times than when we can see that there is something better coming, right? When we go, okay, this is not the end right here that God has something better. And Jonathan helped David to see that there would be a lineage coming after him when he said, between your descendants and my descendants. There was a sense of importance here and that they would bear witness. And little did David know what that descendant and who that descendant was going to be. David's destiny was not merely to become a king. That in itself was amazing. But Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, a record of the origin of Jesus Christ, the son of David, right? David had to live to be dad, grandpa, great-grandpa, and it goes on and on and on, leading the way to Jesus. Saul may have been wrong about David's intentions early on, but he was not wrong about David's importance, The evil spirit within Saul knew how important David was. And so the promise of kingship over David's life would lead to the king of kings, Jesus, being born. Amen. And at the beginning of this message, when David stood with the head in his... I should have had that as a prop today. That would have been... (laughs) Oh boy, that would have been something. He stood there and Saul asked him, who's your dad? Right? There's lineage on his mind right off the bat. And so Jesus had to live to walk out his own suffering, didn't he? To pray for a cup to pass that would not pass. For us to leave us a Jonathan, for him to leave us a Jonathan that would come alongside us, advocate for us, comfort us, weep with us, bonded to us, helps us find our strength in God. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit and to be with us in our own spear experience. We saw Jesus walk out honoring the Father over everything else, to be an example. Jesus knew he wasn't the first to suffer, but he wouldn't, and he wouldn't be the last, but he set the example in 1 Peter 2.21. For to this you have been called because Christ 
also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. What a privilege it is to be able to follow in the steps of Jesus. And that's not just for glory, but that's for suffering too. I hate to say it. Oh, both men held exactly where they were supposed to be in history. And so are you, in spite of it all and what you've gone through. Second Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. Friends, suffering cannot stop sonship. Suffering does not stop it. Nothing can stop it. We saw that in all the examples and witnesses that have gone before us. We must remember who we belong to, you sons and daughters of God, precious to God. His eye is on you and me. So what can we learn from Saul's life? We'll start there. Don't trust cheers. Don't trust them. Saul met his untimely end and never came into his true destiny Why? Because sometimes, you know, we get stuck on why does that person have tens of thousands and I only have a thousand? We can put that in modern terms. Why do they have this and I don't have that? Why? Right? And it becomes a thought in our mind and a root in our heart and then we begin to become acting in sin. What what are you living for? The world offers is dangerous. It's deceptive. It can trick you into thinking that the stuff we can see with our eyes is the most important thing. And it is not. We can be healthy people. What can we learn from Saul's life? To be healthy. God, help me to celebrate the successes of other people. This You can intentionally pray that if it's hard for you. Flesh wars against all of that. James talks about bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. We have to be careful. And what is the remedy? The remedy is to come in direct contact with the unmeasurable, unmistakable love of Jesus. His love that matters more than anything else in this world and can ever matter more. It drives fear out, by the way. Perfect love, it just drives fear right out. So as we come into contact, that fear of missing out or losing or rejection or whatever that is that plagues your life, it has to go in Jesus' name. It has to go. John, 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Oh, there's so much room in God's kingdom. And God gives us a spirit of humility if we ask for it. Look, that's what we, some of what we can learn from Saul's life. There's a lot more. What can we learn from David's life? I mentioned it before. Walking with God doesn't disqualify us from suffering or from injustice. That's my least favorite point, so we got it out of the way first. (laughs) And it doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. God was with David when he was fighting, when he was winning, when he was losing. All of it. And maybe you feel like a David and you feel like the trial you're in has shaken your faith so badly. I want you to know today, so long as you are breathing, God still has his hand upon you. There's air in your lungs. His hand is on you. It's not lost and hopeless. 
He has a promise for you. No spear, no plan to wipe you out can steal away the promise of God. We don't always get the healing we want. Sometimes we do. We need to ask, but sometimes we don't get it. So, or an answer to a specific prayer. But I wouldn't want to be anywhere else except right in the hand of God and in the perfect will of the Lord. And that is to be in his love. help us. Let God use the spear experience. I said earlier, we can't get in the way of what we have to walk through at times. And in 1 Samuel 26, oh, this is so important. David has an opportunity to put an end to the suffering. He's on the run. His life, 11 times, he's nearly died. And he has an opportunity to end it. And don't we want that to happen when we're in a hard place. So David comes across Saul. He's asleep in a camp. And there's a spear, his spear, the spear that he eluded so many times. That very spear is stuck in the ground beside Saul's head. It's a perfect setup for David. And his friend, Abishai, says to David in 26.8, today, Abishai says, oh yeah, now I know. David, listen up. Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. That means I'm not going to miss, right? This moment, this spear moment that David has had so many times before looking through, looking At the point of that spear facing toward him with one decision, David could go down in history as the murderer of King Saul. He could take justice out of God's hands and put it in his own hands. And it would actually change the whole course of the story because Saul ends up taking his own life in the end. But all of that whole story, the trajectory of that would totally stop. It would come to the, by the hand of David. Imagine the pride of that. And what does David do? In verse 9, but David says to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. Who knows, right? But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. David could have interrupted the plan of God to escape his own suffering. He could have picked up that spear that was meant for his destruction. This had destruction written all over it, right on that very point. And he turned it around. He could have done it. He could have turned it around and killed Saul with it. He picks it up and says, get the water because we need to drink some water. Very good to stay hydrated. And he says, let's get on with it. There's work to do for the kingdom of Israel. Let's go. Why? Because it's not about David. It's about what God has for him. So we can 
Two, everybody, pick up the spear that has a destruction written on it for us or that trial, whatever this thing symbolizes in your life that is meant for us and we can stare it down in Jesus' name, right? And we can get going for the kingdom of God, (laughs) right? We can get busy for the kingdom. And you know what? This can transform and become a ministry opportunity. Whatever that thing is in your life, God does not waste any of your pain. Never. And he never will. It is now a tool. It is your ministry. That wound, that grief, that loss, that betrayal, whatever it is, now it's a tool in God's hand. God's not finished with your story yet and mine. Thank God. It is used to mold us, to shape us, to refine us, and deepen our resolve to serve the Lord no matter what. David understood that the root cause of his jealousy was not Saul hating him. How could he hate him? What did he do? Nothing. Right? But that there was a plan and that there was, there was something else at work here and that it was an opportunity in David's life to honor God. And that's what he wants of all of us and that he had what he needed to walk through. He didn't die. He didn't die. Worship team, could you come? Jesus' very words as he walked this earth, John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And this is where our faith takes action. I want to remind you today of God's promise in your life. You are the lineage of Jesus. Adopted. We have, we have received a spirit of adoption by who we say, Abba, Daddy, we are in safe hands, in God's safe hands. And that means we have hope. Hope doesn't disappoint. And if you, if you don't have that today, you can have it. Just by accepting Jesus into your life and say, I do want to make you Lord of my life. I'm tired of fighting the spears and deking them over and over and over. Not that the trials are going to stop, but then you have an advocate. You have the Lord and a future to look forward to. So what is your struggle today? Thank God that, that Jesus is offering this hope. Maybe you think, ah, I didn't duck the spears very well, and I feel really pierced right through. Yeah. I don't know a better comforter than the Lord. He is the best. Others can come alongside. Grief counsel. I've had all that, and it's been very, very important in my life. But our, the most important comfort that we can have is Jesus and the Holy Spirit within us, like a Jonathan. Something unjust has happened to you. Time to lay it down. Someone wounded you, blindsided you, and you want to pick up the spear out of revenge or anger. Okay, we're just human. Don't do that. David knew that God would take care of it. Maybe like Saul, because listen, Saul becomes the villain, but you can be caught, we can be really caught up 
in what the world offers and the affirmation of others. Oh, I pray today that you come in contact with the unmistakable love of God. (laughs) He just washes all of that away. God wants you to refocus your heart on him. So whether it's the cheers or the spears, it's such a clever name. I didn't didn't make it up. Whatever it is, pride, distraction, bitter envy, it keeps the joy out of our life. Not only is it a sin, but oh, it makes life really hard down here. I want to pray together. Lord, you see it all. Lord, as I've spoken today and your truth has come forward, thank you for the life of David. Thank you, God, for the honoring spirit that he had. Lord, we want to suffer well. We thank you for the good times of our lives. Thank you for the times of celebration and happiness. Lord, thank you that we, can have a, we do have that abundant life in you. But Lord, when the spears come and we get shaken, Lord, that is when... We, we don't know what to do at times. And God, you look upon us with such love as your children, as a parent guides a child, Lord. So you guide us when things get shaky. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here and myself, God, that we would refocus our eyes on you. The Lord, that we would take that spear that was meant for our destruction. Oh God, give us the strength to, Lord, to use it for your kingdom purposes. That is our calling. Lord, that nothing would go to waste. Nothing. And that, Lord, we would see your kingdom advancement, Lord, through our lives. But God, at your will and what you want for us, thank you that we have a hope and a future, God, and our descendants and their descendants, Lord, will serve you and love you, Jesus. We thank you for the one who feels caught up in, the, in this world. Oh, God, show them, oh, how your love is so deep and so high and wide. God, that it just captures our attention again. Forgive us if we have turned our eyes away from you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. I want to open the altar. And if there's something that you just feel you want to lay down before the Lord... You're not alone. And we're going to do that. And we're going to sing a song, Stand in Your Love. It's one of my favorite songs. I love it so much. There's so much victory in this song. And I want to encourage you to stay through the song. But the service is actually officially over because I want to have a worship time here. And so we're not going to come back after. So the service is over. But I want to encourage you to stay. Take in the song. Come to the front if you want to just take a moment with God. I really feel that the Holy Spirit is drawing us and he's calling us. Thank you so much. You are loved. Have a wonderful week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning into today's sermon. If this message has been a blessing to you, please be sure to share this with a friend and leave us a review in the podcast app of your choice. For more information and to get connected with Parkwood, please visit parkwoodwindsor.com.